we've got most people back in or they're out there in the um, baby room. Um, hello in the baby room. I know you can hear me out there. So, If you haven't met me yet, my name is Melanie. Um, I'm one of the leaders here in Real Life Church. I'm married to Stuart and we moved here uh, five years ago to start Real Life Church. I am a wife and a mummy. I have two little boys, they're called Levi and Asher. They're five and three. I spend most of my days running around after them. Um, and in the few snippets of time I get to myself, I work on real life kids. So I oversee uh, real life kids and youth um, and look after what we do really with our under 18s. Um, and I look after the events that we do, so anything we do that kind of is in the community and is inviting outside people in, really. And I'm occasionally allowed to preach as well, which is a great privilege. Um, if you are following along in your Bibles, good luck. Um, I'm going to be picking little bits and pieces out, so what I would strongly recommend is that you keep your finger in Genesis, but don't worry too much. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about Sarah's story, and you'll find her story in Genesis 12 all the way through to Genesis 23. So what I'd probably suggest is that you go away from this and have a read of her story, but if you want to, I will pull little bits out that you can follow along with. If you've not bought your Bible here this morning or you don't own a Bible, that's fine. I, I'll tell you. Um, uh, I want to speak about Sarah, and obviously a lot of it will be very appropriate if you're a woman sitting here, but last week Stuart preached about Joseph, and Joseph's life is very appropriate if you're a man or a woman. We can learn, from the, we can learn principles, values, and things from men and women in the Bible. It's like in life. You can learn loads from men and women by watching what they do and how they behave. So although I will pick out loads of bits of Sarah's story and, and relate it directly to women just because it's Mother's Day today and we wanted to bring something like that, you can equally apply. When I say real-life women, you can say in your head, real-life men which is what I would do if Stuart was preaching on Joseph and he said, you know, Joseph did this as a guy. I would think, well, as a girl, I might do similar sorts of things. So you can apply it both ways. In my own reading at the moment in the Bible, I'm reading through the book of Genesis and I'm looking at the kind of people that God chooses to use or chooses to work through. And I'm just making notes. It is hilarious reading because the kind of checklist that we have for people who would serve in churches is not God's checklist. And so he tends to use the weaker, the better. Um, he tends to use people who stuff up regularly, stuff up spectacularly, and stuff up very publicly. Those would be the kind of people that we would say, take a seat to. God says, welcome in. And it's just looking at how God uses people, why he uses people, and often you see God most glorified when we are at our weakest. In our own personal journeys with God, you know that, that when you're weak, he is able to be so much stronger, and you cannot accredit all the stuff to yourself, because you're like, actually, I, I just didn't have what it took then, so that, that must have been God. Sarah's story is brilliant. If you don't know her, um, she is an excellent character to get to know, and there's loads you can learn from her life. Um, she is Abraham's wife, 
and that's kind of our first introduction to her, really. Uh, she is technically his half-sister, before you all go, ooh. In, in that culture, that's what they did. In order to carry on the population, you probably did have quite a few people sleeping with sisters, brothers, all of that was going on. Uh, so for us, you might go, oh, um, I was thinking when I was reading it, I have a half-brother, so we have the same mum and a different dad, and I was thinking, oh my, that would be like me marrying my brother Neil. <laughs> Whoa. Um, so yeah, uh, she is technically his half-sister. They have the same dad, but different mums. If you're sitting there thinking, I have never read that in Genesis, what are you talking about? You'll find that in Genesis 20, where Abraham is giving a reply to someone about Sarah. Uh, she is the mum of Isaac, uh, a child that she had really later on in life and was a child of such great promise. Um, hands up if you're part of a life group in Real Life Church. Oh, yeah, nice job, Real Life Church. You rock. Um, excellent. These meet midweek, and the idea of them is, is that you spend time with people midweek, touch base with people, and then help each other out in your lives. So that actually you've got a smaller group of people, and the larger we grow, the more that's going to become very important to be a part of one. The larger we get. If you look around now, there's way more people here than there was a few months ago. Give us a few more months, there's going to be way more, and it will be harder and harder to feel connected the larger we get, which is why life groups are going to become more and more important. In these groups, we tend to ask questions of one another just to get a kind of rough idea of how we're doing. So in our life group, regularly, we'll ask the question, what's the high of your week and the low of your week? Because you just get a little taster of how people's weeks are. So you get to hear, oh, you know, I did this, that and the other this week and I'm feeling really good about it. But I had this going on in my life and it was really hard. And you get to celebrate with people but also pray with people and get a really good taste of what's going on. So what I did with Sarah is I looked at the highs and lows of her life. And I think sometimes when we look at biblical characters, we tend to Hollywood them. We tend to go, oh, Sarah, she was so amazing, so beautiful. She was the mother of great promise. And we tend to talk about all the amazing things, forgetting that actually she was a really real woman who had real spectacular failings as well as real strengths. So I'm just going to whiz you through Sarah's highs and lows. You can find all of this in Genesis 12 to 23. Um, so you can, you can follow along if you would like to, but I would just listen um, and go away and read up on her later. So the Bible says this about Sarah. She was beautiful in appearance. I'm going to put that as a high because I think if someone, you know, on my gravestone said she was beautiful in appearance, I would, you know, from beyond the grave, give a little smile. Think, oh, yeah, nice. It was recognized by her husband, but also other men. And she was rich in livestock, in gold and in silver. And again, you might look at that and go, wow. So she was beautiful and rich. Sarah's sounding pretty good so far. God spoke to her husband really powerfully and told her that they would be the mother and father of nations and that multitudes of, of people would come through them. They had no children at the time, but that they would be the kind of people that would see uh, as many kids as there were stars in the sky or grains of sand on the beach. 
You know, they, they would just see multitudes and multitudes and multitudes. And if you're a grandparent sitting here, that, that's part of your heart's desire, is that you would see your generation carry on and on and on. It, it's why old people love seeing babies, because there's something about it that delights your heart, that it will not end with me. There's something of a continuation. I know sometimes my mum just sits and smiles at our boys. Usually they are doing something that I am not smiling at. But she is having a smug little moment, probably thinking, you deserve that. Um, but also thinking, they delight her heart because you get to see generation after generation. You get to see your line carrying on and not ending with you or not ending even with your children but your children's children are running around in front of you she was blessed by God and it says that over her life several times I, I just think I, I love that I love that just a simple word she was blessed by God and I think when we look around real life church that's what we want to be seeing men and women that we say they are blessed by God there's a mark of God on their lives you can see it not necessarily because they're really wealthy really rich live in big houses but you just know they're blessed by God uh, she had her name changed by God so God looked at her and he said that name won't do anymore what I will call you is Sarah and Sarah means princess so he's establishing her he's saying this is who you are and it's it's a lovely high point I imagine in her life to have her name spoken out by God and changed to princess um, I certainly wouldn't mind if my name meant princess. That's rather lovely. As she was rescued by God twice out of really terrifying sexual situations, which I just think as a woman, like, like there, there's a connection with God when you see him rescue you. Um, so she was rescued. She was promised a son in her old age, so she was 90. So we're not even talking a little bit beyond childbearing age. We're talking pretty much everything has stopped working age and no longer having anything that would be required to make babies. Uh, I don't know, but maybe not even having sex at that stage. But certainly she was promised a son at 90. She was given a son and given her son's name, which if you are a parent in the room, the naming of a child is joyful and quite painful as you try and negotiate, well, I want him to be called this, I want him to be called that. I think that's ridiculous, I think that's ridiculous. You know, just the name, God said you will have a son and you will call him Isaac. I just think that's so kind of God. I'd have liked to have been told that. I could have said, Stuart, well... I've been told that we're not naming him Batman, we are naming him Levi. Batman was honestly on our shortlist, so you laugh, but honestly on it. Um, his name means laughter. So she was spoken over her life was princess, spoken over his life with laughter. My goodness, how they must have laughed. 90 years old, pregnant, how they would have laughed. They'd have been all over the sun, wouldn't they? Like, you know, they'd have been, they'd have been in every tabloid, like, just outrageous laughter, really. She carried in her own physical body the son of promise. Um, she was hospitable to strangers. So there's various stories where Sarah entertains in some way, shape or form. She got to see in her own physical body that nothing is too hard for the Lord. 
And I can imagine, because when I was pregnant, every kick, every flutter, every time I puked, everything reminded me that I was carrying life. She got to know that, but know that it, nothing was too hard for God. Imagine what that does to your prayer life. If you walk around in a physical body that has known physical healing, or you walk around knowing a miracle in your own physical body, imagine that, what that does to your relationship with God, to your prayer life, to your faith. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. She talked with angels. They're described in, in various stories as angels and angels of the Lord. Some people would say that that was the pre bodily Jesus. So whenever it's the angel of the Lord is referred to as a title, some people would say that was pre-Jesus being born, which I know is like, um, but she was 90 and got pregnant and probably had already been through the menopause. So when you're looking at stuff like that, you think, well, is anything too hard for the Lord? So this was probably one of either one of the heavenly host angels or Jesus, pre-being born, talking to her. Like, I don't know about you, but having a conversation with an angel, that, that would be high on my spiritual list of things to do. Uh, she spoke to kings and spoke to pharaohs, so it's clear that she would have been articulate, probably educated. There, there would have been something about her that was quite uh, something. She was visited by the Lord, and it says when she conceived Isaac, she was visited by the Lord. I don't even know what that means, but basically she would have known the Lord visit her. She conceived a son at 91 years old. And she lived to 127 and saw the promises of God lived out in her lifetime. I, I don't know, I, I think those are fairly good highs. I think I would feel quite happy at the end of my life to have a list, anything like that. But she had some outrageously low lows and if you're sitting there thinking oh my gosh how would I ever attain to be someone like that let me show you how so she was barren or childless until she was 90 years of age in a culture that really honored having kids and as a woman you were not seen as complete until you'd had one so different to the culture we live in here as a woman in this culture, you can be many things. As a woman in her culture, your sole purpose was to provide the heir or the next one for your family to continue. She spent all of her married life probably sitting in rooms where everybody had kids and she didn't, where people had grandkids, where, like, where there was laughter, where people got pregnant, where people were breastfeeding, where people, where people had multiple children. She spent years of her life sitting in rooms that would have been uncomfortable, painful, just plain horrific for her. And some of you will be sitting there going, I know that uncomfortable feeling. And you need to know that there are men and women in the Bible that can identify with you straight away. You know what it's like to not quite fit in or not quite be able to do whatever it is culture says you should be doing. To feel that slightly uncomfortable and painful, I'm out of place. Sarah knew that and knew that better, I think, than probably anyone. She was uprooted from her home when she married Abraham and got to live in a tent. Now... I don't know about you, but um, we're going to Catalyst, aren't we, as a local church? And I will camp because we are doing it as a church and because 
for some unknown reason, Christians love to camp. And because my boys love it, and because it would be my least favorite place to live, um, even for just four days, to be honest. I, I, I like my bed, I like a shower, and I don't like to share it with anybody else, I, especially people I don't know. I like to know the people who use my shower, and I like to know how it's been cleaned. I like food on proper plates and colouring, but I will camp. Sarah had to live in a tent. Her whole life spent living in a tent. I, I just think for me, that would be probably the biggest low of my life, really. Stuart said to me, we're getting married, you're going to move away from your family, we're going to start a church, and we're living in a tent. I think I might have been like, whoa, uh, deal breaker. Um, she lived through a famine, which even though they were rich, they lived in places that, that knew terrible suffering. So she'd have seen people quite literally die because they didn't have enough to eat, which does something to you. Like, that's it's painful. She was offered to Pharaoh by her husband. So her husband didn't want to um, be killed or suffer the wrath of Pharaoh or be in trouble with Pharaoh. So I don't know how this works, but he said, basically, this woman, she's my sister. You can have her. Um, and so she, I don't know how this works, but she would have had to walk off and go with another man. Um, so she was offered by her own husband to another guy so that he could have her as his husband. And it says in the Bible, quite simply, one-liners that just blow me away. So it says, and Pharaoh took her as his wife. So what we're probably to understand from that is that Sarah took her as his wife. The Pharaoh slept with Sarah and Abraham sat there quite happily. That, to me, that, that doesn't bode really for a great marriage, does it? I don't know. I said to Stuart, like... That would be another deal breaker. Um, she moved around loads, so she'd have been uprooted over and over again. Some of you moved here to start a church. Some of you moved here because of work. Some of you know exactly what it's like to be moved around and to feel a sense of temporary roots everywhere and not feel like you quite get settled in a place. Sarah, Sarah knew exactly what that was like. Sarah, and I think this... Is, I don't think this is only a female trait, but more often than not, you see this one in women. Sarah interfered with the promises of God. She listened to what God had to say and then decided, obviously because I'm old and God doesn't know that, I will help him out. So they were promised a child. Sarah said, I'll get my servant to sleep with my husband and then we will have that child that God is talking about. And I know that feeling all too well of thinking God has said one thing and I will switch into let's get this sorted. So I'll go, we should do this, this, this. Usually while my husband is praying and I'm going, I- I've come up with this, I've come up with that, we could, we could do this or do that. And probably manipulating the promises of God. And for Sarah, that came back and bit her so many times. And I want to flag it up as a warning or a check to us to just say, actually, when God has promised stuff, he knows our circumstances. He knows us. He knows what's going on around us. He understands that when he promises outrageous things, he is going to have to be the one that comes through with the goods. He is going to have to be the one that steps up because often his promises are outrageous and what he requires of us is obedience what he requires of us is faith what he required of Sarah was for her to probably have some sex with her husband but also just to go okay Lord 
You have promised us a child. We won't try and change that into something else. We will believe you for that thing. It is hard. And I think the temptation sometimes to help God out is great. Particularly, I think, in a middle-class culture where we're all about the action. We're all about doing, doing, doing. It's the first question you get asked when you meet people. What do you do? Because who I am isn't in question. But what I do is... What do you do? What do you do with your day? A, a real way of saying I'm valued and I is to say I'm really busy, I work really hard, I, and everyone goes, oh, yeah, yeah, because we value that. What we have to understand with God is he does not value the same stuff that our culture values. He values our obedience, our rest. He values us trusting. Like He values stuff that is so countercultural, and even for Christians, it's countercultural. We, we have to fight with... Well, I'll just get that sorted. I'll just get that done. She was awful to the servant who slept with her husband and had the baby. She was horrible. And, and it says that she treated her badly, treated her ill. Eventually, Hagar, the servant, runs away. She was horrible. And we have to remember that the potential in us to be just nasty is there. I mean, I don't even have to look that far around me to know that the potential for us to get stuff wrong is there. I, like, if I haven't slept enough, I am nasty. Like, like, in the early days of having babies, I did not like myself very much. I would hear myself and think, oh my gosh, how is your husband still here? Like, like I'm not nice. The potential in us to be unkind, to be cruel is there. For Sarah, she didn't keep it in check. And she let it spill out on a woman that she had asked to do her a favour. And, and actually, the woman wouldn't have been able to say no. She was the, the family servant. She was required. And she was awful. And then she was horrible to that lady's kid, who was her husband's child. Um, she laughed at the Lord's promises. And you might read that. I read that and I thought, do you know what? I would laugh too. 90, like even if my mum rang me and said, oh, just so I'd let you know, uh, the Lord has promised me a baby, I would laugh my socks off. Like, I, I would just, and she was way old, sorry mum if you're listening to this, she was way older. Sarah was 90, I would have laughed too, but she then lied about it. So the Lord said, did Sarah laugh? And she said, oh no, not me. She lied to the guy who sees everything and knows everything. She laughed and then lied about it. She was offered a second time to the king of Gera, Gera, as Abraham's sister. She saw real weakness in her man. So, I, I, you know, when, when, if you're married, if you see your guy behaving in a way that you know he shouldn't and you know he's got more in him than that, it's so disappointing and to be honest, sometimes if I see my boys behaving in a way that we've just not trained them to behave, I, I feel it. She would have known the real lows of watching her husband really wimp out on key situations where, you know, he maybe should have faced death rather than actually offering his wife. She would have seen real weakness in a man. And she then had to watch Abraham, her husband, take her child, Isaac, to be sacrificed because God had asked for him back. She obviously got to watch him bring him home, but she got to watch him leave with her boy. I, I just think 
Sarah has amazing highs and amazing lows. And hopefully, in this room, you will be sitting there going, I can identify with that, because I'm a real person too. And I have real highs in life, and I have real lows, and I probably have everything in between. And I have times when I'm ashamed of who I am, and times when I want the world to see who I am. Sometimes the times when we're ashamed of who we are are what people see, and sometimes the things where we're really proud of ourselves are quite hidden, you know? But hopefully you can identify with Sarah as being someone who has great highs and great lows, who has great successes and great failings. So what can we learn from her life? Let me do a quick time check, okay? I'm going to whiz through this. What we can learn from Sarah's life is real women, in fact, real people, get as much wrong as they get right. And if you know someone in this church who you think is perfect or you think is an amazing person or who you think does everything right, they are either lying to you or you are lying to yourself. Real men and women fail, stumble, fall, but men and women who trust and follow God get back up again. So in Sarah's life, you see her stumble and fall and you see her get back up again. You see her have a go and have a go and have a go. You see her eventually carry the promises of God in her physical body because again and again she'd have got back up and had another go. Secondly, it's good to hear what names God gives us as people and it's good to live our lives as if they are the truth. So I can't listen to people saying, well, I'm rubbish, I'm not worth it, because I know those things are not true. I know what God speaks over us as a people and as individuals. I know that because I read my Bible. I know that because I meditate on things that that God says about me. So if you need help with this, I have this beautiful sheet that says, this is who I am, not what I do. I read through this most days. It's like my, you know, like a boxer who gets ready to go out for a fight has like a theme tune that's kind of like, like the rocky stuff and they get pumped up and ready. This is how I get pumped up and ready for life. I read scripture and I say this, no matter what anyone else says about me, this is what my God says about me. This is what my God shouts over my life and was prepared to die and be raised from the dead for. This is what he purchased. This is who I am. And I read it and I really soak myself in it. I've got a few of these if you want one, so you can come and grab one at the end. Let me say to you, if you are over 50 in this room, you cannot discount yourself because you might think, well, the promises of God were all right when I was 20, 30, 40, but I'm probably running out of time now. That is so not the truth. Look at Sarah's life. Right towards the end of her life, the promises of God broke out in her life and became true. All that she thought was impossible became possible. If you are over 50... You're only halfway there. God still has loads more to do with you. And sometimes the real massive promises we don't get to see until right at the end. And Sarah's life is a great reminder of that. Next one, it's good to carry the promises of God as if they belong to you. So to be really precious about the stuff that God has promised us and God has promised you. Carry it as if they're your kids. Carry it as if they belong to you, as if they're precious to you. 
Next one, I, I just really felt like I wanted to say this in Real Life Church just because it's, it's, a, it's a topic that bothers me at the moment, but I just want to say out loud, sex and all that goes with sex belongs to God. And you see over and over again in the Bible, God claiming that back or saying that's mine. So when Abraham offered his wife, God said, no flipping way. And the whole of the community were barren, were not able to have kids because God said, no way. That gift belongs to me. And over and over again, you will see God do that. So I want to make just a few really bold statements. Sex belongs to God. It's his. He designed it to be had within the context of marriage. I know that's not popular. And I know that's not what people like to hear. Even sitting here this morning, some of you will be thinking, oh my gosh, that's a little uncomfortable. We do not take our lead from Hollywood, Fifty Shades of Grey, or any other crud that is out there. We take our lead from God, who says that sex is about oneness. It's about a spiritual union between two people. It is precious and should remain that way. And we should fight with our every breath that we have to keep it in God's camp. It's designed to be had between a man and a woman and it is designed for oneness and for baby making. That's what sex is for. And I, we have to fight for things. And I, I feel re- really strongly, partly because of my story and my background, because it was, it was an area of my life where I have stumbled and fallen many times So I don't have a beautiful story that I like to hold up and say, well, this is what I did with my life prior to meeting Jesus. I have one that I'm pretty much ashamed of until I met Jesus and he redeemed it. He fixed me. He sorted it out. So I feel strongly about it because I know it robs people over and over and over again. And I know that in God's heart... What he designed it for gets abused over and over again. And I think it's up to us as Christians to work out how to make sex something that pleases God. So make sure it's about oneness and bringing together. And if you're married here, it's our job in marriage to make sure we're having sex, but also talking about it and helping others see what real life looks like. And it isn't like Hollywood, and it isn't like Fifty Shades of Grey. It is something way more impressive and way more beautiful and way harder and way more costly. So that's my rant over this morning, all right? (laughs) We should expect to see angels. We should expect to be speaking to Jesus. Mediocre Christianity will never cut it in our world. What people are longing for is real encounters with a living God and everything that comes with it. That's what we want. That's what I want. I want to meet Jesus. I don't just want to read about him. I I, want to meet him when I'm reading. I want to meet him when I'm singing. Sarah knew something of God. Hospitality matters. If you say, well, what I do is I'm really good at having people around, excellent, it matters. And who knows who you might be entertaining. Don't give up. If you're in this church and you've not been able to have kids yet, or it's just not, don't give up. Like Sarah's story is one to say, keep going. None of you are 90 yet, are you? No. So then... Is anything too hard for the Lord? And we have stories in our church already of God gifting babies. Like, 
It's not too hard for the Lord. Don't give up. Don't look at yourself or your own physical body and decide what it is God can or can't do with you. Look at him. Because he's, he's bigger, better, more impressive. He, he does not fail. Look at him. Don't interfere and try and fix stuff for God. So I, I say to Stuart, because I know it's a trait that women fall into more than men. I, like I've given my husband permission to tell me if I'm being manipulative. It's a horrible thing to have to say to someone, but I just said, tell me. Tell me if I'm, if I'm being controlling or manipulative. Oh my gosh, when he calls me on it, I, honestly, I could punch him. But I know it. I just think, yeah, fair, fair play. Give someone permission in your life to speak into it. If you laugh at the promises of God, make sure you follow it up with actually doing what he said. So I think with Sarah, she laughed, but then did what he said. He then gave her a kid and called him laughter. He had the last laugh. She laughed, but she did what he said. I think I'm going to finish with this one. When you see weakness in the men around you, and I want to say this, I want to appeal to the women in the room. When you see weakness in the men around you, don't kick them. Stand next to them and make them stronger. Because I think that's part of our role as women, is to stand next to and make more is to not stand over and give them a boot or say, I did it this morning quite by accident. I thought, how can you get up and preach on that? I, I, I said something to Stuart that was completely ridiculous. I told him off about something and made him small. I just thought, do you know what? That, that my role is to stand next to him and make him bigger. My, my role is, is to make more of the guy I stand next to. That doesn't mean that he won't disappoint me or be weak, or, but still to stand next to and make more of. So I want to appeal to us as men and women of Real Life Church to live real lives in front of each other, to fail and succeed, and to help each other with both, to be vulnerable in our weaknesses, but also celebrate our strengths, to have highs and lows and share them with each other, to stand next to each other and make more out of each other, When I look at Sarah's life, I think over and over again, through all her stumbling and falling, it was more. Her life was more because she believed God, because she stood next to her man, because she embodied the promises of God. So we're going to worship now. If you'd like to stand. If you are not in a life group, you should get in one. It will just help you to be connected, but also live out your highs and lows of what it means to follow Jesus. If you don't know Jesus in this room and you're thinking, well, you've talked a lot about Jesus, but I don't know him, come and chat to me at the end and I will happily tell you some more and help you get to know him. I love that story. I love hearing about how people are so real in the Bible. They haven't got it all sorted.